As part of our celebration of the 100th anniversary of H. Spencer Lewis's initiation into the Rosicrucian tradition, we are pleased to present this archival recording entitled H. Spencer Lewis, The Man. This program was presented in 1957 at a Rosicrucian rally in London, England. The speaker is Frater Peter Falcone, a longtime Rosicrucian and personal friend of H. Spencer Lewis. This morning, I would like to relate a few incidents in the life of Dr. H. Spencer Lewis, our late beloved imperator. Through these stories, I hope to paint for you a picture of Dr. Lewis, the man. These things, I will tell you, come from direct contact with him. These are not stories told me by someone else, but I was actually with Dr. Lewis in these events. All of you know how truly great Dr. Lewis was, but only a few of us had the rare privilege of knowing him intimately. I consider myself most fortunate in having had a very close association with our late imperator. For several years, I worked with him in my spare time, in the evenings after the business day. This was a long time before I became a member of the staff at Amark. Our friendship grew with time, and his transition left a great vacancy in my heart. So you see why it thrills me to talk about Dr. Lewis. Now, his working day started early in the morning, and as he went to his office, he never missed noticing even the most humble of employees. He always had a cheery good morning for all. When he started working at the many articles, monographs, and correspondence that confronted him as first thing in the morning, rest assured that his secretaries were a very busy lot. Probably few men in our times could have done so much in so short a lifespan. Yet all of those that worked with him seemed to have been fired with the same zest. Even though tired, they never complained. His way of making everyone feel important and the feeling that they were all his friends and part of the team, and that he was not just a boss, made everyone happy in their work. After the working day, working all day, and dinner over, he would return to Rosicrucian Park. There I and others met him, and we would start working on one of his projects. For an instance, when he built the planetarium, Night after night, we met with him and would work with him into the early morning hours. He not only designed, but constructed the first American-built planetarium, all out of raw materials and with his own hands. We helped him in the making and assembling of many parts. Although I had worked hard through the day in my own place of business, it would be midnight before I realized what time it was, and yet I never once felt tired. 
I'll tell you why. He was a dynamo of power and energy, and when around him, you simply became part of it. The stories he would tell us kept us always interested. He had a storehouse of knowledge and facts, and he was never tired of giving of his knowledge. When he decided that we had worked long enough for one evening, he would usually treat us to a cup of coffee in some nearby snack counter. Then he would ask me, take me home by the way of Alviso. Now, his home was only across the street from Rosicrucian Park. But Alviso is a little town on the bay about five miles away. What he wanted was to take a long ride and smell the salt water for relaxation. These night shifts, as he called them, were regularly held three or four times weekly. I consider the time that was spent most educational as well as pleasurable to me. There was never a dull moment. The moment we finished one project, he was ready for another. And when it wasn't the planetarium, it was the radio research. We spent many a night in the Amark radio shack experimenting, building, testing new ideas in the still early days of radio. It might be interesting to know that Dr. Lewis developed and installed what was perhaps the first radio transmitter in the U.S. having full musical and live programs. I mentioned the word we in connection with these night shifts. There were many people involved at different times. Usually it was Frater L. Williams, James Whitcomb, and myself, and Louis Babcock of the janitorial staff. Dr. Lewis thought a lot about Louis. As I said before, Dr. Lewis was exceedingly democratic. And then there was photography. Many an evening was spent in this science and art. He constantly experimented with new and better methods, never being satisfied, always working towards perfection. Dr. Lewis contributed much to photography in his lifetime. He was considered one of the best in the field. He used to tell us how, as a young man working for a large New York newspaper, he introduced the first use of photographs in general advertising. I would like to tell of some of the other facets of Dr. Lewis' personality and talents. As you know, he was a splendid artist. If perchance he didn't feel like working in the laboratories of Amort one night, I could always find him in his study painting. His fine artwork included such things as the covers of the Rosicrucian Digest, which you know he used to do exclusively. A few of his many paintings are still to be seen in buildings at Rosicrucian Park and in his home and the homes of members and friends. I must tell you how Dr. Lewis formulated the idea about two weeks before a convention that we ought to have an orchestra. I believe it was around 1934. Well, some of us had toyed with music and with various instruments at different times. Most certainly none of us were musicians in the true sense of the word. 
But Dr. Lewis was an accomplished musician. So he brought four or five of us together. I believe it was Father L. Williams, Father Miles, and Father Whitcomb, myself, and one or two others. I don't recall. At any rate, he got the orchestra together for a rehearsal. Well, I had never seen a bass viol except in when someone played it in a large orchestra, and never at close range. I knew nothing about a bass viol. It was a mystery to me. Nevertheless, Dr. Lewis said, you'll play this at the convention. We're going to entertain the Fratas and Soras at the opening night of the convention. <laughs> so he proceeded to put chalk marks on the bass viol and transpose the music into numbers. The fingers of my left hand were numbered from one to four, and he put, put the numbers on the frets. He then said, now you push number one with your number one finger and number two with finger two. <laughs> well, eventually, something like music came out. <laughs> Three rehearsals was all the time we had. We were all thinking, perhaps, this would be one of the most miserable performances that anybody could possibly get. But surprisingly enough, when we started to play the night of the convention, music came from those instruments. Dr. Lewis played the cello, as you know, and he managed to inspire us and direct us to such an extent that the concert, which was limited to three or four numbers, was well acclaimed and well done, considering that Dr. Lewis was the only musician amongst us. <laughs> Now, it was things like that, upon the spur of the moment, which made those of us who knew Dr. Lewis realize what a great man he really was. As I said before, there was never a time when Dr. Lewis lacked for something that he wanted to develop. The moment he finished one project, he would start on another. And even before that was finished, he had two or more in mind. Sometime dur during the early 30s, they came into existence in America what was called the Flag Association. It was a patriotic organization, and Dr. Lewis became interested in it and became one of its principal officers. At one time, he asked me if I would accompany him to Los Angeles. It seemed that the Los Angeles branch or chapter of this Flag Association had invited Dr. Lewis to speak. We took the night train to Los Angeles, and after meeting with many of the Rosicrucian members there in the Los Angeles area through the day, we finally made our way to the Flag Association Auditorium. A large audience consisting of some two or 3,000 people were assembled. Unlike the Rosicrucian conventions and rallies, I might say, I want to congratulate you, where things happen on schedule. This meeting was late in getting started. Then there were the many, many introductions that are usually part of such meetings. Everyone had to be recognized and introduced. Everybody was asked to say a few words, and most ended up with a long, dry speech. 
that made no sense at all. The main speaker, Dr. Lewis, was sitting, waiting, smiling, and listening to all this. It was nearly 10 p.m., and everyone was restless when they finally introduced Dr. Lewis. Normally at this stage of such a session, most people would be well on the way out. However, when Dr. Lewis was introduced, believe it or not, you could hear a pin drop. With his great magnetic smile and oratory, he won over the audience, and he talked for nearly an hour, yet no one, no soul, left that hall. That, my friends, is exactly the kind of power I was speaking about or had in mind when I said that he was a dynamo of power. The average man could never hold an audience after it had been bored, as I said, with so many speeches. Dr. Lewis was no ordinary man. This is just but one example of what he could do with an audience. As you may probably know, for years, we held Sunday night public meetings in Rosicrucian Park in the Francis Bacon Auditorium. Dr. Lewis spoke every Sunday night, and regardless of the weather, rain or not, hundreds of people would be in line for half an hour before opening. No one left the auditorium at any time during his addresses. The place was always packed with people who eagerly drank of his knowledge. Now, I want to tell you a little story that my daughter told me. It had such an effect on her that to this day she talks about it. This happened when she was about 12 or 13 years old. It seemed that I had bought her a sewing machine for her birthday, and Dr. Lewis and Mrs. Lewis were over at our house for dinner. Naturally, she was showing her new machine to Dr. Lewis, and he apparently became quite interested in her attempt at making a blouse. He asked her many questions about it, and he wanted to know why she did this or that to the material and for what reason. After about an hour, Dr. Lewis said to my daughter, Mary, you could do this job a lot better if you would do this or that. And he proceeded to show her a complete process for making a blouse so that when she was finished, it was a good job. Almost professional, believe me. And it was her very first attempt at sewing with her new machine. You see, Dr. Lewis's interests covered all fields of endeavor. Nothing was too great or too small but what he could be aroused to improve and perfect the method. And as I mentioned before, she talks about it to this day. Well, brothers and sorrows, I could go on for hours talking about this great man, However, his life and works talk for themselves. So I want only to thank you for the opportunity of bringing Dr. Lewis, the man, a little closer to you. Thank you.